Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Safety. Georgia is actually out on vacation today, but don't worry, I'm not doing the podcast alone today. I have Dr. Bryce, who will be joining us. He's an emergency medicine resident at IU, and fun fact about Bryce, he's been to all six continents on the world except for Antarctica. Hey, Jack, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. And I do hope to visit those penguins one day. Yeah, you know, we're just waiting for those COVID restrictions. Definitely, definitely. Well, you know, with Rush Around the Corner, we thought it would be a good idea to talk about hazing on the podcast today. I'm sure we're all familiar with hazing, you know, whether it's seemingly innocent activities like running errands for somebody or getting a funny haircut or, you know, more serious and potentially fatal activities like excessive drinking. Let's jump into a story that you guys may or may not be familiar with. So yeah, the story starts in February 2017. Tim Piazza showed up to a Beta Theta Pi fraternity at Penn State to undergo an acceptance ceremony known as the Gauntlet. The Gauntlet was a series of drinking stations ranging from shots of vodka, shotgunning of beers, and drinking from a wine bag while being doused in beer. Wow, holy cow. Yeah, after taking part in this gauntlet, Tim was severely intoxicated. His BAC estimated to be around 0.28 to 0.36, and that's about four times the legal limit. Wow, Bryce, you know, as a doctor, what does that mean? Is that, you know, really high? Yeah, so when your alcohol level gets this high, it really starts to affect your brain stem. It starts mm-hmm. to shut down breathing centers in your brain stem, and you really okay. can't react to the world around you like you normally would be able to. Wow, all right. Yeah, so... Security footage showed Tim struggling to stand, kind of like that brainstem stuff that I was talking about. Fraternity brothers slapped him in the face and poured water in him to try to get him to wake up. When this didn't work, they tried to use a backpack full of books on his back to keep him from rolling over to stop him from choking on his own vomit. Now, using a backpack, is that something that you'd recommend using to help somebody? So certainly his fraternity brothers had the right idea in mind. This is what we call the recovery position. The backpack doesn't always work, but if you want to see a good example of this, I recommend looking it up online. And I'll do a shameless plug for our live programming called Rachel's First Week Live. In our live programming, we come to high schools and colleges, and we go over a variety of things, and the recovery position is one of those. So if that's something you're interested in, you can let your school officials know, and hopefully we can organize some sort of programming, or you can go to our website, rachelsfirstweek.org, and we have more information there as well. Sounds like a fantastic idea, Jack. So back to the story. A fraternity member finally called 911, After 12 hours, and by that time, Tim was breathing heavily, had blood on his face, and his skin was gray. Wow. Yeah. Two days later, he unfortunately died due to his injuries. And this is a story that is all too common. Yeah, you know, this is a really, just really sad story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, it's, it's all too familiar. I think hazing has really gotten a lot more attention over the last 10 to 20 years. But unfortunately... Hazing has been a part of human history, actually, since the beginning. I was doing some research for the pod, and I found that the earliest records of hazing actually date all the way back to ancient Greece in 387 BC. Hmm. So yeah, quite a long time ago. At the time, it was called penalism, which means, quote-unquote, a system of mild oppression and torment practiced upon first-year students. So, you know, while the name may have changed over a few thousand years, the spirit of hazing really hasn't. And it's prevalent in a variety of settings and cultures today. You know, American fraternities have had a history of hazing deaths since their inception, with the first hazing death occurring in 1873 when, you know, I just think this story is just kind of crazy. A fraternity brother was blindfolded in the woods, and he was told to find his way back home to the chapter. Hmm, Seems tough. Yeah, it seems tough. And unfortunately for him, there was a cliff on his way home, and he ended up falling off a 37-foot cliff and dying. Hmm. And, you know, you can go through, 
you know, time and, you know, find stories like this all along. And, you know, they're really sad and sometimes even brutal. But I want to talk about them because I think they show that hazing has been here for a while and it's not going anywhere. This isn't a new thing, even if it's gotten a little bit more attention over the last 10, 20 years. So I think the really important question to ask is, what can you do to stay safe and what can be done to prevent these tragic deaths? Well, Jack, it seems like a pandemic can be pretty effective, (laughs) unfortunately. 2020 was the first year in 60 years without a fraternity hazing death. Yeah, but COVID is getting better with the vaccine and life starting to return to normal. And unfortunately, that means that hazing rituals have started up again. Adam Oaks was a student at VCU who died at a fraternity party in March of 2021. So, you know, as, as life is kind of returning to normal, you know, unfortunately, it does seem like some of these hazing incidents are spiking back up again. Mm, seems to be never ending. What do you think we can do about this, Jack? Well, you know, I think a great point to start with is just understanding how prevalent hazing is and getting a good picture of the situation. So hazing is almost everywhere on college campuses. And what I really want to stress is it's not unique to Greek life. So I looked at a study of about 11,000 college students on 53 different college campuses. And over half the students in campus organizations had experienced some degree of hazing. And what I liked about this study is it went through and looked at all different types of groups. Mm -hmm. So it found that varsity, athletics, and Greek life were kind of at the highest. What I found was really interesting was that even service organizations had about a 50% reported rate of hazing, which, you know, I would have thought that would not even been happening at a service organization. So really goes to show you it can happen anywhere. Moreover, this study found that about 95% of hazing goes unreported, and many students even reported being hazed before arriving to college. Wow, that's very interesting that so many organizations report incidents of hazing. You know, I actually went to uh, an undergrad school where mm-hmm. we didn't have stories of fraternities, and I know of stories of people getting hazed at my school there. I guess it doesn't surprise me in that regard. What types of hazing in these studies that you looked at were most common, and who was at most risks in these scenarios? Yeah, so this study, the same 11,000 college students, found that the most common activity, which is you know not a shocker to me, was high-risk drinking. The next most common was humiliation. And then the next most common was personal servitude. And men were actually more likely to be hazed than females. But I will point out that the difference between males and females is only about 10%. So Mm. it's not like females aren't being exposed to the same hazing that men are. All right. So now that we know that hazing is common on college campuses, statistically, there's a good chance that hazing is taking place. Even before college begins, it seems like hazing is not a product of fraternity life. However, fraternities might provide a setting in which dangerous hazing activities can take place. Yeah, you know, I think sadly this seems to be the case. And the goal of this podcast isn't to scare you away from joining any organizations Mm -hmm. in college. I mean, the groups I joined in college were some of my favorite memories in college. So we want you to be interested in things and go out there and pursue your passions. But we want you to be prepared for it. So today we're going to chat with a hazing survivor and also an expert on anti-hazing protocols so that you're better prepared on your rights and what preventative measures colleges are taking to keep you safe. All right, and now we'd like to bring in a hazing survivor and activist, Tyler Perino. Tyler, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It means a lot. It's you know very hard to you know share this kind of a story about yourself, so we really appreciate how brave you're being. Why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm currently, I'm 21 years old. I go to the University of Toledo right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm studying psychology with a minor in forensic science. Oh, so, very neat. What do you want yep. to do when you graduate? I either want to be a forensic psychologist or go into law and be a forensic attorney. So, Wow, that sounds intense. Yeah, it's some pretty <laughs> interesting stuff. I, I love all those shows like 
forensic files and all those type of things. Tyler, tell us a little bit about your hazing experience there. So my hazing experience was at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and it was in 2019 when I was a second semester freshman. Mm-hmm. And basically what happened to me was I wanted to join a fraternity to meet people because I was a transfer student. Okay. And so I just wanted to meet people and have that opportunity of just going out there and having something to do to keep me busy. And I thought it was going to be a great experience. And it honestly was the complete opposite. I didn't expect it. And it kind of hit me like a truck. It, it blindsided me. Yeah. I always heard stories about people being hazed. I actually heard the story of Timothy Piazza and I didn't really think it would happen to me, mm-hmm. but I experienced very similar things to what he did. Mm. I experienced brotherhood bonding nights where we were forced to drink a lot of alcohol in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. We were outnumbered, us being me and my fellow pledge brothers. We were outnumbered by upperclassmen and forced to drink. And we were also forced to do a lot of cleaning after parties on weekends, forced to do a lot of setting up for parties. Another big thing was, I think you mentioned it earlier, was servicing for other people. Yeah, personal servitude. Yeah, that was actually very common in my experience too. I was forced to go out and buy meals for upperclassmen and deliver them to their house. Mm -hmm. Things like buying them tobacco, cigarettes, lighters, stuff like that. Just miscellaneous things just for their convenience and for my inconvenience. Yeah. Other things that happen would be a lot of workouts. Workouts, uh, not necessarily what you think of a workout. Uh, Workouts are supposed to be like healthy and enjoyable and to help you with personal growth. And these were kind of the opposite. It was things such as doing forced planks on broken glass Wow. Wall sits upwards of 50 minutes long, so almost an hour. Yeah. Just kind of stuff like that and for long periods of time on little sleep. Yeah. So, Tyler, I'm just going to interrupt you here for a second. You know, as you were doing these like planks on broken glass and, you know, all this terrible stuff, did you ever, you know, try and say no or, you know, resist at all? Or, you know, what was kind of what was going through your head as you were doing these things? Yeah, I've kind of gotten that question a lot from people. It's, it's almost kind of like you don't understand what it's like unless mm-hmm. you go through it, but I'm going to try and explain it the best I can. Okay. It's kind of like this whole power and control type of thing. It's basically you're in it, you're doing the hazing, going through it with all your other pledge brothers. And if your pledge brothers don't stick up for themselves or stick up for anyone else, you don't really want to be the one to do that because you don't want to be the front and center of trying to stick up for everyone because you don't want all that attention on you. Right. And you don't want the upperclassmen to look at you like you're not strong, you can't get through it, mm-hmm. and you just don't want to be there anymore. So having that power and control that the upperclassmen had basically kept us, myself and my pledge brothers, just kept us going, even though it was really, really bad and no one really wanted to go through it because we felt as if the only thing that mattered at that point was the fraternity and was our brotherhood, mm-hmm. as they said. It's basically like the whole power and control thing. Like people think that it's easy to walk away, 
easy to say no, but it's just, it's the complete opposite because you feel as if that's the only thing that matters in your life at that point. Yeah. Tyler, excuse my ignorance here, but you know, coming from an undergrad that didn't have fraternities or sororities, how long did this rush and hazing take place over? So I ended up joining the fraternity the first week in February of that semester. And the kind of like the whole finale kind of situation that happened where a lot of people know about happened mid-March. So I'd say probably about six, seven weeks. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Tyler, if you don't mind, just for our listeners that maybe aren't as familiar with your story, telling us about, you know, what you're talking about with the finale and what kind of brought this to a tipping point. Yeah, basically the tipping point was on March 16th of 2019. And we had a group chat for like our pledge brothers and the upperclassmen to kind of like communicate and let us know like what was going on and like what we had to do and like that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And we received a text earlier that day saying, Hey, we recommend you guys don't do any day drinking because at least in Oxford, it was common to go to the bars during the day for beat the clock where you get cheap drinks all day. And we were advised not to do that that weekend. So we were kind of confused. Turns out later in the day, I told my girlfriend at the time, I was like, hey, can you come check up on me at my dorm later tonight? And she said, yeah. And so I ended up walking to the fraternity house and got there at around 6.45 or 7 o'clock at night. Okay. And I kind of, I walk in and I remember sitting down on a couch and around me was my other pledge brothers. It was about 24 of us, 25 of us. And it was kind of like a, like an eerie kind of vibe that I was getting when I was was, there. You knew something was up. Yeah, exactly. It just felt like no one knew really what was happening. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like we were being blindsided and surprised with something. We had no clue was coming. So after I got there and I sat down and was hanging out there for a little bit, the upperclassmen walk in and tell us to blindfold ourselves. So we all put our blindfolds on and then they set down a speaker in front of me and they started playing really, really loud music. And it wasn't like your typical music. It was kind of like music that was very, very disturbing, talking about like agony and death Wow. And in the lyrics. And it was kind of, I kind of thought that they just wanted to like intimidate me and my other pledge brothers mm-hmm. just kind of make us feel like scared or whatnot. But after that, I hadn't been to really many things in the past few weeks at that time because my grades were suffering. And at the time they said it was fine. But as soon as that night happened. They, I just felt like I was being singled out at that point Okay. because they actually had me go on the ground and do what were called meow ups, which is you do a push up and you meow like a cat, which I was kind of confused. Like I didn't really know why I was doing those, but right. it was just again, probably for humiliation. Yeah. And so while, while I was doing that, they were pouring beer on me, kind of like nudging me in my sides people would come up to me and whisper in my ear and say, you're so effed, the worst is yet to come and that type of thing. So I was kind of, I'm kind of like a strong guy inside and out. I'm, I will never really get scared about a bunch of things, but Mm -hmm. like I was kind of a little bit intimidated because I would have been terrified if I was in your shoes. 
yeah, I mean, I was, I was outnumbered. I mean, I'm a bigger guy, but like I was outnumbered and I didn't really know what was going to happen. So mm-hmm. pretty much after that happened, we were put in a single file line and had our hands on each other's shoulders, myself and my pledge brothers. And we were walked down to the basement and in the basement, it was kind of like, I couldn't see cause I was blindfolded, right. but it felt like we were in a circle and the upperclassmen were in the center of us. Mm-hmm. And it basically felt like they were just screaming at us and telling us you're so F the worst is yet to come. And I was kind of standing there. Like I didn't really like know what to do mm-hmm. because I was just being yelled at and people were getting in my face and I couldn't really do anything to like to defend myself. But then after that happened, I was grabbed by someone and taken back up the stairs into a room where my hands were placed on the wall. And that's kind of the point where I started getting pretty intimidated. Like Mm -hmm. I was a little bit intimidated before then, but when that started to happen, I was kind of like, Oh, like this, this is probably like not good. Cause I had an idea in the back of my head of what it might be. And it turns out it is what I thought. And when I got in the room, uh, I heard a what sounded like a paddle in between someone's legs to the right of me. Yeah. And then he gets smacked and he starts yelling and cussing and screaming. And I'm like, oh, boy, like I'm next. Yeah. And at that point, I was super scared. My heart was racing. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what to do. And then it started happening to me. They like put it between my legs, start hitting it between my legs. And then I get smacked. And I start doing the same thing. I turn around, uh, yell, scream, cuss. I actually started crying because it was not soft by any means. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually remember saying, hey, like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I want to leave. And no one really ended up helping me or saying anything. They just kind of laughed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then someone said the first one hurts the most. Then it's numb after that. And so I turned around and got hit one more time. And then I turned around, took my blindfold off and to where I met my big brother. And after that, that's kind of where it started to go downhill for me. Yeah. He presented me with a six pack of Smirnoff ices, which is a type of alcohol. And he told me I had to drink them all in a row. So I drank six of them in a row and I was already throwing up. And then after that, he gave me a bottle of Crown Royal, Mm -hmm. very hard liquor, and told me, like, this is our family's tradition. This bottle needs to be gone by the end of the night. Hmm. And I kind of, my heart kind of dropped because I was like, oh, shoot, like, these are the type of stories you hear about. But, like, I felt like I had no choice but to do it. Right. And so basically throughout the night, I was drinking that. I actually smoked marijuana too and was paddled multiple more times. And then I was taken back to my dorm to my girlfriend. I don't know how I got there. I don't remember leaving the fraternity house at all. Got to my dorm where I was throwing up and my girlfriend at the time said that Uh, I told her I felt like I was going to die. And so she called 911 and then I ended up waking up in the hospital the next morning. What are your thoughts when you first woke up in the hospital bed? I assume that must've been a shock for you. Yeah, I kind of, I woke up and I looked to my left and my girlfriend was sitting there and I kind of, I was really confused. I was honestly still intoxicated 
And I turned to her and I just said, Hey, like, thanks for coming. You didn't have to come. You didn't have to show up. I didn't realize to the severity of what it was at the time, but I was just shocked and confused, I guess, because I didn't know how I got there. Tyler, you know, when you were telling us your story, you said that there were other pledge brothers, you know, going through a similar hazing process. Do you know if any of them ended up in the emergency room or had, you know, really serious outcomes from the hazing ritual? I don't know if any of them were in the hospital, but I do remember one kid in my pledge class during that night. I remember seeing him passed out unconscious on the couch and they were trying to wake him up and he didn't wake up. So that's really the only thing that I recall. Did any of the people who hazed you receive any punishment? I mean, you know, what you're describing is just awful. It's dehumanizing, you know, it's, there's a physical, you know, aspect to it that's painful. And then all this alcohol, did anybody get any punishment? Yeah. So the university ended up expelling most of the kids Mm -hmm. and they got charged criminally, kind of a joke in my opinion. I don't really like talking about it but when people ask i voice my opinion i feel like they took it as a joke the the fines that they got were pretty much the expense of a parking ticket at miami university so it kind of kind of made me mad and i ended up actually walking out in the middle of the of the court dealing with this so i i walked out in the middle of it because i was so disgusted yeah that's totally understandable well this is a pretty harrowing experience and i'm sure that you wouldn't want anyone else to go through similar experiences like this. Are you involved in any way now to help prevent future hazing with other organizations? Yeah, I've kind of done some similar things to what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. I actually did a podcast with NYU a few months ago, and that actually came out in January. Then I've been doing a bunch of interviews with local news stations. I talked with someone from Clemson University in South Carolina about the whole experience and then kind of like my big thing that i'm doing right now well i actually did it a little while ago but it's still continuing at this point was i actually spoke at the state house in ohio to try and pass collins law for hazing okay which i don't know if you've heard what collins law is let us know what it is yeah collins law is basically to up the punishments criminally for hazing in the state of Ohio, upping it from a misdemeanor to a low felony, which is still a big move in my opinion, because it'll help people think twice before doing what they do in these situations. Right. So I actually had the opportunity to testify on behalf of that bill. So that's kind of like the big thing I've done so far. Yeah, that's impressive. What struck me about your story when you were talking about how you felt beforehand was that you said, You didn't think it was going to happen to you. You know, you kind of had heard stories, but you just didn't think it was going to happen to you. What would you tell, you know, prospective college students, people thinking about rushing? What would you tell them going into, you know, the rush season? I would basically just tell them, and I wish I could have told my old self this too, is basically to pay attention to things such as your grades, your social relationships with other people. In my case, with my girlfriend, our relationship at the time was struggling. My grades were struggling. And basically, the fraternity took up all my time. And at that point, it's like if your fraternity or sorority takes up so much of your time that you don't have a life outside of it, or you can't get good grades, 
or you can't do stuff with other people outside of the fraternity, then that's when it becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. And I wish I saw that in the beginning because I wouldn't have went through all the forced drinking that I did and whatnot because the fraternity and how time consuming it was started right off the bat. And then another thing would be to seriously pay attention to the anti-hazing like meetings or whatnot that they have before Mm -hmm. rush week. Okay. I actually went to a meeting at Miami that Sunday and the following week was rush week. And I kind of went to it and I kind of took it as a joke personally. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really think it was going to mean that much or I wasn't really paying attention to policies. And I know most people don't really do that. And at least in my experience at the meeting, a lot of people were talking and kind of laughing and no one was really paying attention, kind of what we're used to with those type of things. But it may not sound cool to many people, but to really pay attention to those things could definitely help you see red flags that I wish I could have seen. Mm -hmm. So just those type of things I feel like would definitely help. Yeah, that's great advice. And you mentioned too a couple times in your story, it sounded like there were times when you wanted to potentially leave the situation you were in. Do you have any idea of what you would do differently if you're put in that situation again or any recommendations to anyone who might find themselves in similar situations? Right. So for my situation, at least that night of March 16th where I wanted to leave, pretty much comes down to the fact that I've been telling a lot of people this and a lot of interviews and stuff that I've done is basically if it doesn't feel right, then it probably isn't right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what I've come down to. Trust your gut. It, it didn't feel right. And I wish I could have walked away and I wish I stood up for myself because in the end, like those types of situations are seriously like dangerous and fa- could be fatal. Mm-hmm. And it's really not worth your life to go through hazing that severe. So I just wish I told myself that it was okay to leave that it was okay to not be a part of that organization because they try and get you to feel like that they're the only thing that matters. So just basically, I would just say, just be strong, be different and be someone who cares about their life more than the fraternity or sorority. Hmm. Right. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. I know it's not easy, but we really appreciate it. And I think people will learn a lot from your story. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Yep. And now we'd like to welcome Judson Horace to the show. Judd is the CEO and president of the North American Interfraternity Conference. Judd will be helping us learn more about effective anti-hazing strategies. Judd, thanks so much for coming on the show. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. And before I get started, I met Tyler in Columbus when he was testifying Mm -hmm. for Collins Law, and I apologized Mm -hmm. to him then. And on behalf of all of these fraternity men that I represent, I'm so sorry. You know, his story is very graphic. It's very, uh, on the extreme scale, it would be on the far extreme of Mm -hmm. the hazing stories I've ever heard. And I've been doing this for 25 years. But as I tell everyone, my experience in college wasn't near that bad, but there were elements that I was a part of and participated in. And and as I got older, I realized I had made mistakes. And I'm truly sorry for that. But the stuff that Tyler endured, you know, if anyone's listening and they are experiencing that or participating in that, you got to stop. Right. And mm-hmm. and not just because you're going to get in trouble, but because that stuff would be outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a war crime. Yeah. 
it reminds me, the story that I hear there, it reminds me of the Abu Ghraib story. And anybody who's gotten to that life and position, I, I just, if you're listening or you get into that, you really need to listen to your gut and remember what you were taught. Mm-hmm. There is a better way. You do not need to haze to build bonds and friendship. But if right. you're at that point, you have to stop and come back. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I'd say is I, I work with the Piazzas you mentioned. I work with Jim and Evelyn Piazza, mm-hmm. and we're doing some work on the anti-hazing coalition. One of the things that I always, you know, when they tell their story of Tim, it's, it's I cry every time. I probably heard it 50 times watching them speak. And then Jim always says, Tim's dad, if, if you came to this program and you hazed, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I forgive you. Yeah. But I can't forgive you if you leave this program and you don't change. Right. So I think, you know, a lot of this stuff is a human dynamic. It's a power issue. It's not isolated just to fraternities. I was just reading today that the high school rates of high school athletes versus non-athletes, it's about twice as bad in high school students and athletes. The study just came out today with Elizabeth Allen and another researcher. As you talked about, it's, it's all over society. Today we're talking in the context, I will, of fraternity men. My God, I love fraternity. It does mm-hmm. wonderful things for men. But if you are experiencing anything close to what Tyler described, you need to stop because this isn't about policy. This is about good human nature, and that isn't anything close right. to what you are as a person. So it sounds like you're doing a lot to fight hazing in Greek life, particularly with endorsing Collins Law there. Could you give us a couple more examples about how you're helping to do that? Yeah, so we have formed an anti-hazing coalition with parents who's lost sons to hazing and national fraternities and national sorority leaders. And we have two main things that we do. One, we put the parents in front of college students to speak about their story of their son's lives and the danger of hazing. Yeah. Before COVID, they spoke to 125,000 students the academic year before COVID. Wow. And in those moments, they can touch a heart with a student far more than Tyler described an orientation session before recruitment begins, mm-hmm. and most students blow that off, right? right? But when you watch these parents tell their stories, they can touch a heart in a unique way. Mm-hmm. The other thing we're doing is we're pushing for laws. At the federal level, we're pushing for transparency laws so that if you're joining a student organization, you need to know if they have a record of issues and conduct. Hmm. Yeah. At the state law, where we did at, the, at Texas, uh, or what's happened at Pennsylvania, we're working in Ohio right now, we're basically trying to make hazing a crime similar to, I, I, I want to use this context. If I was on the street and I paddled someone, like Tyler described right. was paddled right. to him, to the point where he had to go to the hospital, that's called assault, mm-hmm. and that's a felony. Right. And most hazing laws, A, have been weak up until very recently, Mm -hmm. and B, haven't been prosecuted if they were there. So think about this. Higher education as a system or society in general, imagine you could literally beat someone to death, force someone to drink alcohol in the form. You're not drinking alcohol to have a social experience at that point. You're drinking it. It's like poison. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where could you do that if I was in the lunchroom my son, he's a 12-year-old, if he gave someone milk with poison and it made him drink it, mm-hmm. he'd be expelled from school and he would be in trouble. You know, right. he would be criminally charged even as a minor. Mm-hmm. So the hazing laws have got to become more strict and right. we're pushing hard for that. And 
we are seeing evidence that it is beginning to work. But keep in mind, we're just getting started. Mm-hmm. Just those three states right now, or are there other well, legislations done, that yeah, exist? Yeah, we've done work and got some better language in the state of Florida off the top of my head. Right now, we're working Ohio. There's a, a bill before the Ohio House. We got it passed in the Senate. We're going get, to get it hopefully passed quickly in the House. Governor DeWine has endorsed it. That will make the type of things that was described from Tyler's situation or Collins a felony. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping that that gets done this year. Oh, that's exciting news. It seems like you guys are, you know, every possible outlet you can affect, you're doing your best to make some change. I was wondering, what are some of the major challenges you face in trying to enact this change? I, I can imagine that there are a lot of people who maybe went through the hazing rituals and said, you know, I was fine. It didn't, it wasn't that big of a deal for me, or they really value the tradition or the, you know, the bond creation of hazing. How do you kind of convince those people and what are your major roadblocks? You know, I used to think this was the problem because the alums kept teaching the students this. Okay. And then the iPhone came out Mm -hmm. and now the students are teaching each other in such a efficient, powerful, terrible manner. Oh, wow. I didn't think about it. Right. Because now, what you used to kind of learn through word of mouth when I was in school in the 90s, Mm -hmm. you now share on Snapchat with someone else from your neighborhood who goes to a different school. Right. And it disappears. Mm -hmm. So I I tell everyone the old paradigm of they were learning it from the alums, it it may be there. Mm -hmm. Students today, all students, not just fraternity men. Students today are learning from each other in such a powerful, efficient way through platforms like Snapchat, mm-hmm. through various means. And it can be a powerful force for positive good or a powerful force right. for negative yeah, good. Yeah, the more you see something, the more normal it seems. Another right? thing that people have to understand about just kind of the, the, the issue we have in front of us, it's terrible. We've lost two students to hazing this year. It is awful. Stone and Adam, their parents, I'm so sorry. There are five college students a day that die from alcohol-related injuries Mm -hmm. across the United States. Think about that. Five a day die on average from alcohol-related injuries. So the the problem of alcohol on a college campus is enormous. Uh, We've done a lot of great work with MAD, we being America, to get the drunk driving rates down, to get a lot of the drinking rates in high school down. While there's some evidence it's working in college, I I can tell you firsthand that the binge drinking culture in college has still not been affected and it's challenging. So I think another challenge is potentially whenever there is hazing that's going on, Jack mentioned the statistic that 95% of hazing events are not reported. How do you recommend that people kind of reach out to organizations that may be able to report hazing? So there's... The actual mechanics of reporting hazing is pretty easy. Just Google it, mm-hmm. right, if you're a student out there. Mm-hmm. It's actually the recognition that you're going through it, it's not right, and you need to do something about it. Now, I'm not blaming Tyler. I mean, because the pressure when yeah. you're in that scenario is very hard to stop and say no. Yeah. I can't imagine. Uh, yeah. And Tyler is incredibly courageous to tell his story in such a graphic way. But so many students feel like it's not that bad, or Mm -hmm. I can just get through this, or I experienced something worse in high school. I can't tell you how many students come up to me sometimes and say, I I had a worse experience in high school, so Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was that bad. 
But in I always give the test that Tyler kind of said, which is if you can't explain to me what's going on in your new member program, me being my my role, mm-hmm. then you probably need to pause and ask yourself, should you be doing it? Right. That's kind of the test. Yeah, it seems like there's really a lot of like very strong social, you know, factors at play here. You know, Tyler felt like he was outnumbered, you know, he's being blindfolded. Those are really dehumanizing things that are going on. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your vision for fraternity communities. Well, you you have to start with the value that fraternities bring. Uh, All of the research coming out says fraternity men have less anxiety and less depression than non-fraternity men. Mm -hmm. Fraternity men have a higher graduation retention rate. Fraternity men, they have better opportunities for career development after life. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of positives it brings. These other elements in a fraternity experience, and I would argue on a college campus, have to be dealt with because you can't live out your vision if you're saddled with some of these issues, yeah, right? Yeah. So with that in mind, one of the natural dynamics that plays out, especially for college men, is this need and feeling for a rite of passage. Okay. Right. If you okay. think back to all, just go back and watch Saving Private Ryan or go watch the movie Fury and you can see how they bring the new guy into the squad mm-hmm. or into the platoon. Yeah. That dynamic is there. If you could look at Native American cultures, the dynamic of becoming a man, mm-hmm. what they do with the men, that dynamic is out there in young men. And when it is not engaged in a proper, positive, meaningful way, it gets perverted over time. Now with social media, it doesn't take that long to go from this thing over here one year to three years later, this grotesque thing over here. Mm-hmm. Without the positive framework that the vision talks about a meaningful rites of passage. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it can devolve into stuff that you don't want. Right. Do you think hazing has gotten more extreme over the years? That's a good question. I So for, I think hazing's been out there in society for a long time. Just read your history books. Mm-hmm. I think it's everywhere. I think what's unique now, though, that people don't understand, especially when I'm talking to alumni, it's the advent of the social media platforms and the ability for them to share and normalize behavior okay. in such a way that almost all of the time it's anonymous and they can just, it, well, if this person's doing this at the University of Washington, mm-hmm. then I'm at Washington State. We got to give this a try. And then the guys at Washington State, they share it with the guys at Arizona State. And all of a sudden these things are so consistently popping up. I think that's I what's see. the challenge here. Okay. It also, the flip side if we can get the peer pressure going in the right way. And I was seeing signs before COVID hit that we were starting to turn the corner on the culture itself, that once you make it shaming by the peers that you're doing this, you know, the real benefit of what MAD did is it made drunk driving a crime that was prosecuted, but more importantly, it made it not cool to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So unfortunately, college students, they often don't care about the rules of the school or the rules of the law all too often, but we got to hold them accountable. I'm not arguing against that. They care most about the social credibility and capital they have with their fellow peers. Mm -hmm. And once you make it uncomfortable to do the things that they're doing in a social way, that peer pressure is the most powerful thing you got on a college campus to shape culture. So specifically hearing from Tyler here and knowing the story about Tim, what do you think would have been effective strategies to prevent them from getting in that situation and preventing the damage that is associated with hazing there? Well, I think forums like today and helping students know going in 
what's to follow your core and follow your north. Mm-hmm. You know, when Tyler said that, it's so important you do that. Mm-hmm. So I think just raising awareness is important. The second piece that happened to some degree with Tyler's story and to some degree with Tim's story is the original law in Pennsylvania before Tim's incident right. was so weak mm-hmm. that most of those students have gotten uh, off with very little. We're talking like home detention from the criminal justice system. Oh, wow. yeah. right? um, and most of the stuff that Tyler had happened were misdemeanors. That's what was described by Tyler is a felony in, if you were doing that in the middle of a city. So mm-hmm. why is it different on a college campus? So I think having strong, very strong criminal law for that type of behavior, and then it's publicly shown to the students what happens is very important. Another small nuance, I don't know if you, you know, this is really technical. FERPA, which is the Federal Protection of Information, okay. if a student gets in trouble with student conduct, the school is not allowed to say, you know, John Doe got expelled from school for hazing, right? Mm-hmm. Because they, they actually have a federal rule that they can't disclose individual conduct. Wow. But when you get charged with a crime, it's all over Google, and you can bet when you do a job search yeah. that they're going to see that. Mm. Yeah. So it sounds like you're using both legislation and also pushing a positive culture to kind of prevent hazing from happening in the future. That's right. we got to get at it multiple angles. This is going to take a long time to make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Judd, thank you so much for coming on the show and answering our questions. I think I definitely learned a lot. Today. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks. Thanks for joining us here today. Yeah, I think it was really interesting to talk about, you know, how prevalent hazing is and how important it is for, you know, our listeners to, you know, be champions of this cause and really get out there and, you know, lead the good fight and also try and increase, you know, our legislative punishments for some of these things. Safety is brought to you by Rachel's First Week. Executive producer, Mike Wilson from Airborne. Sound engineer, Ben Vauder. And a very special thanks to American Medical Response, NASCAR, and healthcare initiatives for their financial support of this podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter at hashtag Rachel's First Week. Don't forget the A in Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. We want to hear from you, so contact us at rachelsfirstweek.org. Don't forget to subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode of Safe Teeth. This is Georgia signing off. See you next time.